I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, sometimes maths can sound like a foreign language. The sum of the square roots of any two sides of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. That's a right triangle, you idiot! Oh! But basic mathematical skills are still super important if you want to, you know, function in society. The thing is... New Zealand isn't doing so well. To education now, New Zealand's 13-year-olds have recorded their worst ever results in a major international maths and science test. I think they have the fundamentals of uh, being able to teach maths and then they need support alongside them. And this hasn't come out of the blue. We are seeing a trend and I think it's a worrying trend where over many years now New Zealand is getting further behind other OECD countries. I think something needs to change because if we keep doing what we're doing we're going to keep getting the same results. So why is student achievement among Aotearoa's rangatahi so poor and what's being done to turn it around? In maths, science and reading, New Zealand students are at the bottom of the OECD and have been consistently for 20 years and we've been dropping. That is Simon Collins, education reporter for the New Zealand Herald. The reason this has come up now is that the, the latest TIMS study, that is the, the primary Maths and Science study came out in December and showed that we've dropped to the lowest level ever in Year 9. The Principals Federation has decided that now's the time we've got to finally do something about it, and that, that's how we've, we've got onto it in the last week or so. Measuring different countries' educational performance can be a bit of a dicey process. We use four different studies as a barometer. Thankfully, they all have very memorable and sexy acronym names. The first is the TIMS study. That's an international study tracing how students perform in science and maths when they're in year five and again when they're starting year nine. There's also the PEARLS study that does the same thing but in reading. The PISA study, which tests maths, science and reading in Year 11 students and is run by the OECD. And finally, the NIMSA, which is funded by our own Ministry of Education and tests primary school students in all school subjects on a rolling basis in Years 4 and 8. Well, there's always been controversy about how seriously to take them. And so... Another part of why this has come to the fore now is that even the New Zealand domestic study is now showing worrying trends because um, although the achievement was up slightly for maths at year eight, actually, in, in the domestic study in the last survey, that, that was an improvement from 41% of students achieving at the expected curriculum level in year eight in maths to um, 45%, so still less than half of the students achieving what's expected. And in science, only 20% of the students at year 8 are achieving at the expected level. So 2 out of 10 students in year 8 level are meeting expectations for yes, science. Yes, yes, that's right. So although there's debate about the international comparability and, and whether you really can compare across countries because every country teaches different things in different ways and maybe there are differences in the way students, uh, like maybe our students are just not used to sitting tests as much as they are in some of the countries and so we'd come out worse because maybe the international surveys are not measuring us consistently with other countries. But when even our own domestic survey shows that we're failing, it's time to do something about it. There's no doubt that part of the international... The reason we do so badly internationally is that our kids are not as used to sitting tests as they say they are in Singapore. And for all accounts, in Singapore, they basically train them to pass the tests. <laughs> that's what their education is, and maybe that's not a very good education system. We don't necessarily want to follow it. So we're best to look at the trends against our own measures in the past in the same international surveys and, and also in our own domestic survey. And when those trends are looking bad, then we need to do something about it. 
are we especially bad at maths across the board? Is it certain aspects of maths that students are, are, are not strong in? The Tim survey, the latest one that came out in December, uh, shows that we're particularly bad in algebra and worst in algebra, next worst in geometry, better at basic arithmetic, which is called number um, and statistics, basic knowledge of how to add up and subtract and multiply and divide. But we're not good at algebra, and the reason for that, when when you look at the detail of the Tim survey, is that we don't actually teach algebra. Only only fifty two percent of the kids learned algebra in the in the previous year, and in, in in the latest survey, compared with about three quarters in, in the average across the world. And that seems to be because our teachers are not confident in teaching algebra themselves. Gavin Martin from Massey University was brought in late last year by the Ministry of Education to head a panel looking at why New Zealand's math scores are so low. Here he is speaking on RNZ's morning report. If a teacher standing in front of you is not confident dealing with these mathematics, then the kids pick up on that. And I think that their view is that the teacher finds this difficult, then it must be impossible for me. So I think we have to get teachers into a position where they're extremely confident in the mathematics that they're teaching. I am getting flashbacks to uh, primary school. I remember in year seven and eight, I had two maths teachers. One of them was the PE teacher. The other one was the school chaplain. Is (laughs) that a widespread thing that that is being seen? Uh, Well, yes, apparently about a third of the teachers even teaching maths, even at secondary school, are not trained in maths. They're trained to be not a, trained, in maths. trained to be a PE teacher or something else, uh, because there's such a shortage of maths teachers. Um, and obviously in primary, that's in, in primary school, even intermediate school, every teacher should be able to teach maths. Apparently, that's what they're trained to be generalists. So they're trained to teach kids a, a, an integrated view of the world. So they should be able to teach, say, a unit about the solar system or something, which might be called science. But they should also be teaching English and maths while they're teaching about the solar system. Um, so the, the primary and intermediate teaching is meant, meant to be uh, something in, in which every teacher can cover every subject. Um, so, Which is ambitious. Uh, yes. And so it? it is ambitious, and so there is an argument, and uh, the Ministry of Education is considering whether we should be using more specialist teachers in primary school uh, for maths, because maths teachers, because teachers are struggling with maths. So there are, two, there are two ways of dealing with the problem. One is to train all the teachers in maths better than we do now, and the other is to bring in more specialist teachers. Bring in more specialist mathematicians. Yes. With that, yes. that yeah. bulging line of um, unemployed mathematicians that we have here in New Zealand. <laughs> That's right. That's the issue, isn't it? That is the problem. There aren't any maths teachers. and nobody. Well, although, actually, I've just written a story today saying that we're getting more math specialists training to be teachers at the moment because of the global recession. So people have lost... New Zealanders overseas have lost their high-tech jobs and in America or Europe and have come back and are training as teachers apparently. So we might be seeing a slight improvement, but but there has been a long-term problem with attracting people from maths and science backgrounds into teaching. Which makes sense, mm. I suppose, if you are a trained mathematician, unless you're super passionate about teaching, if it's between taking a job with <laughs> Rocket Lab or teaching at, at your local primary school, <laughs> when there's maybe a two-, three-, four-fold difference in salary, you can see why exactly. that would happen. Exactly, yes, that's right. Just, just on that email, sure. I'll also say... Um, one thing I came across, I was, somebody sent me some material about the Singapore system after my story appeared. And in Singapore, apparently, they do have specialist maths teachers from year three. Um, and Singapore is top of the world in all these measures. Um, so in Singapore, that's the way they do it. They have specialist teachers. They teach maths as a specialist subject from very young age. Do we want to go down that track or not is, is the debate. How are curriculums 
developed in New Zealand? Uh, uh, so the New Zealand curriculum has changed over the years. So it, it used to be very detailed. It used to specify exactly what kids had to learn. There used to be standard textbooks. Um, all that has been thrown out the window over the last few decades. And, and, and since 2007, we've had a very generic curriculum, which is very short and, and says very briefly what the broad areas that kids should know on each level of the curriculum. So the, the, the ministry is now reviewing that um, because other countries have a much more detailed curriculum and specify that you should know in a lot more detail X subjects at, at you know X topics at each year level of the system. And looks like we're moving towards more a more specified, detailed curriculum than we've had for the last 14 years. But it probably won't go back to the fully detailed system and there won't be standard textbooks like we used to have. It'll be something a bit more detailed but not not back to where we started yeah because at the moment it, it it seems as though a lot of what is taught and how it is taught is what essentially it's figured out by individual s- schools is that how it works yes so the the system is deliberately uh, permissive it, it deliberately allows schools to teach in different ways and and that, the reason for that is that they hope that schools will develop systems that are appropriate for their kids so you know in a rural school you might use a lot of um, examples or, or problems related to the agricultural industry. Yeah, you might head out yeah. to a local farm yeah, and see how yeah, maths yeah, could be applied yeah, to... Yeah, yeah. yeah, and in an urban school it would be different and it would be different in a um, school with different ethnic compositions and so on. And, and, and so the, the system encourages what they call local curricula. So each school is meant to develop its own, lo- its own curriculum. And again, that's... We, we, they're saying we still want to do that. That's still the, the policy, but but we also want to give them more detailed guidance on what needs to be covered. So an element of sort of having half of your cake and eating half uh, of your cake as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think um, it's also changing because the history is that the previous national government had a approach with national standards, which was trying to specify in a lot more detail the level that each kid had to reach at each year. Labor's thrown that out the window, said you can all go back to your local curricula and has actually made local curricula one of the three priorities in, in professional development for teachers since the last year or so. So we'll be heading down that direction and, and now we seem to be suddenly veering back since this Tim's report in December, but maybe a bit before that with um, concern about reading as well. The ministry and the government seem to be veering back towards more central direction. So we're, we're, <laughs> it's, it's a very recent and, and ongoing current uh, change. There are different countries that have a syllabus that are very prescriptive in what is taught at what level and how it's taught. That's Debbie Dixon. She's the principal at Remarkables Primary School in Queenstown. And we in our country have a curriculum that is broad. It looks at the holistic child. It looks at um, achievement objectives to attain over two to three years within each of those level parts of the curriculum. It isn't explicit in the sense of what you pick up as a teacher. You don't do this on this day and that on that day. So it is very hard to compare apples with apples when you've got different countries having different designs of how they form their program within the education sector. Our curriculum is much less prescriptive than in other countries. There is a lot of autonomy given to schools. And yet, just looking at science and maths, 
two out of ten students are meeting expectations in science and four out of ten students are meeting expectations in maths. And so does that suggest to you that maybe the way that we are doing things is the wrong way? Um, I think this data allows us to look at, actually reflect actually how well we're doing it. I don't think there is a right or wrong way because what if it becomes so prescriptive, it may not meet the needs of those students. You know, because each student also learns in a different way. So if you are very drill and you know, basically chalk and talk and drill and, and memorise that, that, that could be effectively work for some students, but it wouldn't work for others. So I do think it's really looking, and I know as our school, you know, we're really looking at, so what does that mean for us? How, are, you know, that, that goodness, I suppose, shot pause, what are we doing? How are we teaching mathematics? How are we teaching science? And often to the, the science is so broad that we're teaching one part of it. We actually went and looked and we're actually missing some parts. So we weren't doing that coverage aspect. It was looking at going with the students' focuses and interesting engagement because we want to get kids engaged in science and technology. But there were some parts that were missing. So that, you know, if we looked at if we if our students were tested in that test, they may do poorly because we, we may not have covered the curriculum because it's so there's so it's so large in each area so how do we get that coverage versus balance of engagement and depth within some subject areas Piri Rush is the national president of the Principals Federation he spoke to Morning Reports Corin Dan I think we have a very atomised system of schooling. Uh, we have uh, local governance and local control. So every school really is an island and, and they're charged with uh, with teaching in ways that, that, uh, that they see fit. In any national system of education, there has to be coherence. A national curriculum has to mean something. Uh, teachers need clear guidance about what is nationally important. And, and that is the role of our ministry. The ministry are stewards of the system. Uh, they serve young people. It is really important that our ministry provide that that high-level thought leadership that gives effect to the direction of curriculum. And that's what we're missing. We talked earlier about the idea of autonomy and schools having autonomy. In a lot of ways, that must be nice. You know, you have more creative freedom to teach subjects the way that you want to teach them. But from your point of view as a principal, would it be nice to have a bit more direction yeah, I think that the Ministry of Education are starting to really look at that and review. And I think that, you know, the, the new histories curriculum is coming through in the way that they're conducting that survey and getting feedback of what schools and how to measure and what those baselines are is a good first step in that process. Um, I think what schools are really wanting that support that used to be there in, through, in the sense of that, that connection with the advisory surface that we you know we used to go have sessions around that science or math and we would all come together as schools. Now it's done through the kahuiaka, which is again based on needs of that community or things. But those key fundamental workshops with professional learning that we were all on the same page, unpacking those curriculums together were really beneficial and I do think that we got a little bit more understanding and consistency of practice um, in the past than we do now with the new sort of way that professional learning and how the curriculum or development of the curriculum are delivered into schools. You, you as a school really have to find out how to get in and connect with that where there was a ministry advisory that would come into schools or work across schools 
sharing those key course things that they were trying to aim for within the curriculum and you'd have a better understanding. I do think that at the current stage, just looking at the new recruits coming in to schools from the teachers' college or universities, I do feel that that area needs to be reviewed. I feel that the understanding the theoretical side of teaching um, in English, reading, writing and mathematics and science, but I don't think there is a lot of how you present and how you unpack and teach those skills and strategies in front of a class. There is a real divergent difference there. Yeah. It has been. Well, I mean, that's fascinating. So, that's, yeah. a, that's a point that Michael Deaker, who, um, who put me in touch with you, made. What was once a almost a trade or a craft that you sort of got into maybe in your early 20s and then honed yourself over your early years in the profession and figure out what works for you has become very universityized and academicized and that there's actually a big difference between what you learn in the teacher's college classroom and what it is like actually being a teacher. Yes, and, and, and now it's pretty much when you get a graduate, you are actually having to teach them the craft because they find, you know, you've got, um, you've got, you know, 28 pairs of eyes looking at you. You're looking at making engagement, making relationships, because you've got to have that relationship with your class before you even start. If they don't connect with you and you don't connect with them, learning doesn't happen. You have to set up a right environment. You have to have behaviour management because there is a number of children in each and every class across the country that have learning needs or behavioural or emotional or social needs. And that is increasing. And that becomes very hard on a classroom teacher when you're trying to do that as well as deliver the curriculum. You have to yeah, have to understand those intricacies of actually how to unpack the teaching a concept of math mm. or reading skills and teaching how to teach reading. That craft is really important. It, it's, it's not just a theory. If you were to have the ear of the Minister of Education and uh, the Minister of Education were to ask you, Debbie, please help me here. What should we be looking at doing to turn these bad baseline results in reading science and maths around? What, what are some achievable things that we could do? What would you tell the Minister of Education? Probably three things. One, when we're looking at the data... We also have to look at the amount of learning needs in within, within schools and how that support mechanism and funding is actually very low. So to lift the achievement, we also have to lift how do we support children with learning needs because I think if you line that data up a line with the PISA data, et cetera, you'll see a, a big rise in like dyslexia, dysgraphia. Mm-hmm. All of those things are hugely rising because that's really noticeable in schools. So aligning mechanisms to support children with learning needs to, you know, to access learning so that they can raise that, that standard. So providing support structures for teachers and teaching, um, those things like we did in the past. And three, I think, that pre-service training as well. So if... We really want to step up our results when it comes to these standardised tests and Singapore seems to be the benchmark. Couldn't we just transplant their system into ours? I mean, that's... No, I mean, it's a balance. We need to have more support and direction from the centre, but but obviously we don't want to 
have a totally uniform system the way Singapore, probably Russia or China do. Mm. I mean, we are a democracy, and that's a strength that we want to retain, obviously. So. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you say we don't want the educational system like Singapore. Singapore absolutely kicks ass on these surveys. Yes, but yes. what is acceptable in Singapore is different to what is acceptable in New Zealand, so it's not like a like for We can't just take the Singaporean model and, and just thwack it down here, problem solved. No, that's right. We could if we wanted to, but I think we don't want to. <laughs> I, I think New Zealanders and, and you know people in democratic systems generally value diversity. We value allowing people to experiment with different ways of teaching and, and we value choice so we, we value having a, a choice so we can send our kid to a very traditional school if we want to or a more liberal school if we want to. In a big city obviously in a smaller place you don't have a choice but um, I think that's something we don't want to lose. That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to NZME's Simon Collins and Remarkable's primary school principal, Debbie Dixon. Ka kite anō. <laughs>